This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The media narrative about white evangelicals, if it's anything, it's that they are a political force, that they are politically active. Do the numbers, do the actual numbers on white evangelicals versus, say, atheists or agnostics, do they support that narrative? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why are the media so invested in this narrative that white evangelicals are the most politically active religious group in America? Well, it's a it's a really, really old story, which... It, raises the question of why do we keep seeing it year after year after year. I think I wrote my first story about people who were claiming that the religious right was losing power and that the religious left was on the rise and was going to come back into prominence. I think I wrote that story in about 1986 or 7, you know, which means it's been around a while. But I think the strongest answer to your question goes back even further than that. And it takes me all the way back to me being an undergraduate at Baylor University. And Jimmy Carter runs for president. And Jimmy Carter, of course, does the famous interview where he says he's a born-again Christian. And we begin to see all of this coverage of evangelicals in born-again Christians in politics, born-again Christians, this, that, and the other. And the religious right then, of course, emerges as Jerry Falwell and others begin to kind of be able to yank some of the chains attached to the Republican Party. But what I'll always remember in a moment that I feel is one of the moments that changed my life as a journalist was watching a report about Carter talking about his faith and being born again and ABC News. I was watching ABC News, and it cut away. And at the end of that report, the anchor, I believe it was Howard K. Smith, looked right into the camera and said, ABC News is investigating born-again Christians and will have a report in a further broadcast. Okay, now we're only talking about, what, 45 50% of the American public? And he was acting like Martians had landed in Manhattan which to some degree is exactly what had happened in terms of their knowledge of a crucial part of life in the rest of America. So to some degree, the white evangelical power in the GOP is the ultimate threat. It came out in response, mostly. Yes, there are some racial factors and school integration and some other issues that fit it, but the big issue that emerged was abortion. And for the first time, you began to have Southern Baptists all across the Sun Belt beginning to rethink their their customary alliance with the Democratic Party. And you had mechanisms formed specifically, like the moral majority, formed to take on the, the moral and social and Supreme Court issues 
that kind of went along with abortion. And the, I just while I go, I looked something up online, which I think this will illustrate it for our listeners more than anything. If you know, the, we have the term religious right, and that's with a capital R and a capital R again, religious right. But if you have religious left, you will hardly ever find it with a capital R and a capital L. And the reason, of course, is that under Associated Press style, we capitalize things that are identified as coherent movements, movements at the grassroots, social movements, the Tea Party, you know, and the civil rights movement, and that sort of thing. Well, if you go online and you search for the words religious right inside quotation marks on Google, you will get, I checked this while ago, for religious right, you will get 6.5 million references to the religious right, and you'll get 77,500 just in the current news, just in the Google News search for what is considered a news story that's still alive. Now, if you do the term religious left, inside quotation marks, in a general search of the Internet, you get 196,000 references compared to 6.5 million references for religious right. And in the active news section of Google, you get 3,680 references to religious right compared to 77,500. So what does this tell you about what the media thinks in terms of what is the more powerful element of our culture and to some degree an element that its very existence is defined as news and a part of the news process. So you have uh, noticed recently some more research and number crunching from Ryan Burge. What numbers have interested you with respect to this particular subject about political activism and religious categories? Well, he had a chart out the other day on just who is the most politically active in terms of American life. And what's really fascinating, it's a smaller group, which means its impact is lessened, but he would argue that it's a part of a growing coalition in American political life. And like you said in the intro, I think most people would say, who's most politically active? Most people would say white evangelicals. Well, it turns out that non-white evangelicals are more active than white evangelicals, who usually means Latino, the black church, etc. And then black Protestantism is a, another category altogether. So I think if you combined black Protestant and non-white evangelical, you know, you, you get a pretty large number there. But what's fascinating is the atheist number for act numbers for activism are way, way higher than white evangelicals. Um, and these are figures are pretty new, just a year ago. And he, he put out a chart, which is fascinating. And at the top, he summed it up. Among atheists, 20% had attended or a march or a protest compared to 6% for white evangelicals. 12% had attended a political meeting compared to 8% for white evangelicals. 40% of atheists had contacted a public official for some reason compared to 24% for white evangelicals. Here's a big one. 52% of atheists had donated money to a candidate compared to 26% of white evangelicals. 
putting up a political signs pretty close, 28 to 21. But then here's another one that this really struck me. 12% of atheists have worked for a candidate. I assume that means as a volunteer or a staff member. And 5% of white evangelicals had worked for a candidate. So consistently, atheists were twice as active in American politics as white evangelicals, or, or in some cases far more than that, three or four times more active on certain issues. And then you throw in agnostics are almost as politically active as atheists. And yet I think if you looked at the Google search I was just talking to you about, I think most Americans would assume that the, the religious right is infinitely larger and infinitely more powerful. And a question, I don't have the figure in front of me, but someone else did a survey on how often people have heard their pastor specifically address a political issue or candidate from the pulpit. And the number was far higher among progressive and liberal churches and churches of color than white evangelicals, which I think that would surprise people. Now, the complexity of all this, of course, is just off the chart. If you look at the world of small, independent, non-denominational, and here's the big phrase, Bible-believing evangelical churches, I think you would find skyrocketing you know, activities in terms of politics. But that's a segment of white evangelicalism, even if with stories like the January 6th U.S. Capitol riots and other things, even if people from that segment and growing segment of American evangelicalism, they, even if they make the headlines, that's certainly not the white evangelical norm. Even if you just take those white evangelical numbers that Burge has provided by themselves without comparing them to the other religious categories, they're shockingly low. You know, they're not to me. And part of that gets back to the issue of how do you define evangelical in the first place, which then that links up to this whole issue of whether evangelicals are in decline or not. Are they shrinking? Are they losing clout? Like I said, something that I've been reading research on that since the 80s. I mean, good grief, how long ago were the 80s? 40-something years. So this is self-declared evangelicals which to some degree means these are people who have chosen to use the word to describe themselves. And that, of course, that drives evangelical leaders, historians, and research. It drives them crazy because they would like, following in the footsteps of Billy Graham years and years and years ago, they would like to see more people define evangelicalism in terms of doctrine. But, you know, that's not how the term is being used in American life. It's in terms of journalism and political activists, it's used kind of as a semi-curse word to describe political activists. So how do Burge's numbers compare with some older research from John oh, yeah. Green? Yeah, thank you. Our readers and listeners were going to want to know about a piece that Berg just did because he, you know, he's been, his charts and his numbers have been all over the place in the last three years, and I would say justifiably so. And I'm very happy that Get Religion was one of the first places that began calling attention to his work. He's now cracked the New York Times, 
with a piece that's directly linked to what we're talking about. And the headline on his piece is, A More Secular America Is Not Just a Problem for Republicans. Now, down in here, he gets into some of the numbers about how America seems to be growing more moderate on social and moral issues while the Republicans continue to preach, you know, red meat, cultural war stuff to their people. And he has some doubts about that. You know, Ryan's own background, he's not hiding it from anybody. He's a progressive Baptist pastor with a Ph.D. in political science, and he is probably someone who would consider himself kind of in the moderate side of the religious left. I, I think he would embrace the word progressive. But what's more important to me, because we've all heard this about the Republicans, is he puts into print in the New York Times the complexity of the religious issues that are facing the Democrats. And this is where what he has to say overlaps with some work that you and I have discussed probably enough times that people have got to be getting tired of it. And it's the, the references I always make to this seminar right back before Barack Obama broke into the presidential race and into American politics. We were doing a seminar in Washington, D.C., and the great pollster John C. Green, he got up and put some data up on the big write-on wall at the Washington Journalism Center, and everything he put up on that wall has turned true, has become true, especially his focus on the rise of the religiously unaffiliated, and the term none had not been crafted yet, at least not for public consumption. But he talked about the exact same phenomena that Berg has now got into the New York Times, which is the growth of this coalition of atheists, agnostics, the few remaining genuinely liberal mainland Protestants, progressive Catholics, Reformed Jews, and the religiously unaffiliated. This coalition is a growing power in the Democratic Party, so much so that in an interview that I did with him, long ago for the Scripps Hour News Service at that time, he made what I thought was the most prophetic comment to come out of the release of the original none data, religiously unaffiliated data from the Pew Forum. He said the really interesting thing about this, he said the evangelicals are not going away. The hardcore, church-going, active evangelicals, conservative Protestants, conservative Catholics, whatever, they aren't really shrinking that much. They may have declined a little bit, but they have higher birth rates, and they're still there. What's shrinking is the middle, he said, because the left is, this, this new coalition is rising. And then here was his, here's the statement he made. I want to read this to our, our listeners. And, th you know, this goes back to the original Nun study a decade ago or so. And he told me, the unaffiliated overwhelmingly reject ancient doctrines on sexuality, with 63% backing same-sex marriage and 72% saying abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Thus, the nuns skew heavily Democratic as voters. Jumping down a bit, here's the quote that stuck with me. I ended the column with it. It may very well be that in the future the unaffiliated vote will be as important to Democrats as the traditionally religious are to the Republican Party, said Green. If these trends continue, we are likely to see even sharper divisions between the political parties. And the other thing he told me that day, he says, 
don't forget how important African-American and Latino voters are to the Democrats. And he said at some point, and this is what Ryan Berg has managed to get into the New York Times, at some point, declining amount of religious identity and the growth of this kind of strange bedfellows coalition of religious liberals, atheists, agnostics, sooner or later, there are going to be tensions with the culturally conservative world of black Christianity in particular. And as I've told you several times, ask Joe Biden if the black church mattered in his political campaign in 2019 and 2020. They basically saved his neck. So now we can start talking about the issues on which the Democrats have got religious complications, as well as the Republicans, which, you know, range from the First Amendment to the Equality Act to abortion. I don't want to be prophetic here or something, but if we wake up in two weeks, and there have, as the rumors are flying across the Internet, and with no proof that I can find, if we end up with a situation where Christians and missionaries and NGO leaders, if these people start getting put on trial in Afghanistan and then executed, that kind of a religious identity, pride in America issue, that's going to affect a lot of Democrats as well. If I could give you one more number that I think has always stood out for me. If you read the political coverage, where do you think Democrats would be on the issue of abortion? Do you have any predictions on that? If off the top of my head, it, it, I guess it depends on the question about a particular question of abortion or about whether they identify as pro-life or pro-choice. On the second question, I think they, the majority of them would identify as pro-choice. But I don't know about their thoughts on abortion itself. Yeah, but see, if you divide it into three, you get into some complex layers where the numbers have moved back and forth and back and forth for years. But right now, in a, in a time of intense liberalism inside the Democratic Party, 50% of the Democratic Party believes abortion should be legal under any circumstances. Then you get into the question of legal under certain circumstances. And you've got another high number. I mean, the percentage of Democrats who believe abortion should be illegal in all circumstances, it's low. It's about eight. But the minute you start talking about third trimester abortion or the deliberate abortion of Down syndrome children or a lot of other issues, that's 41% of the party plus the 8% who are under all circumstances so basically 49% of the Democratic Party right now is not happy with the current abortion regime as Roe versus Wade is being interpreted. And I guarantee you a lot of those numbers can be found in church pews, especially black and Latino church pews. That's an example of a, a way that our, our stereotypes, our simplistic stereotypes of religious people and politics are helping drive American press coverage to the extremes as the middle of America religiously begins to shrink and we have this still solid group of conservative Christians and others on one side and then we have this growing strange coalition. Well, it's not strange. It's logical on moral and social issues. 
we have this coalition that Berg has written about in the New York Times out on the left. So the religious right and the religious left. The religious left right now appears to be bigger. Where's the political coverage? So Ryan Burge has not been quiet. As you mentioned, he has published mm-hmm. in the New York Times. He has published a book. He has a book coming out in March that's actually, I think, named something like Myths About Religious Voters yeah. or something like that. Right. Well, and just Myths About American Religion, I think, is the, so the wider thing. He's got all these numbers that he's constantly pouring out on social media and elsewhere. Why are the media not paying attention to the insights that he is bringing to the narrative that they're pushing? Well, they are paying attention to him some. I mean, he's risen pretty quickly in terms of his profile. But I think you just said the key words there. A lot of his interpretation of this data doesn't fit the existing templates. And these are templates that have been in place for the professional lives of the entire generation that's running American newsrooms. These things have been carved in stone. We wouldn't see those numbers searching for religious right versus religious left in Google if this wasn't something that was just absolutely carved in stone. Yet Ryan comes along. I don't agree with him on everything, but Ryan always produces material that makes people on both sides have to question their assumptions and question their stereotypes. And quite frankly, the press doesn't like that, especially when those stereotypes and those assumptions are absolutely crucial to the internet clicks and subscription totals for many of our new kind of elite niche market publications. They depend on being able to preach to their choir just as much as someone like a Donald Trump depends on being able to preach to his choir. Their choir pays their bills and keeps them open. So it's important that he continues to feed concrete numerical material out of publicly available polls. I mean, the the big polls, the solid ones that everybody has to use. He keeps just noting things like, hey, the evangelicals aren't shrinking that much. Or, hey, the Southern Baptist Convention is shrinking But most of those people are not leaving Christianity. They're going to independent evangelical churches. Look at the rise of the independent evangelicals. Hey, the religious left is actually way more politically active than the folks we like to think of as the religious right. Oh, here's another one that you and I talked about just the other day. Hey, it turns out that white evangelicals are not the largest group of people who are resisting getting vaccinated for COVID. They're about the same as Catholics and not that far behind the rest of the mainline Protestant world. The people who are not getting vaccinated, most of them are young, and a lot of them would be considered religiously nothing in particular or even vaguely spiritual, religiously unaffiliated people. None of those comments fits the templates and the narratives that are around us all the time. And so, I mean, people are having to kind of get used to what he's saying. And I think at some point, things like this New York Times essay have a chance for some more people to hear what he's saying. And I think what he's saying is very important. But then again, I thought what John C. Green was saying was really, really important in the late 80s into the 90s and then on and on. 
some of us have been listening to the complex guys for a long time. So uh, Burge also says that the religious right is pushing cultural war issues. Are they choosing to do that? That's that's probably one of the points in this this essay where I would he and I could sit down with a Dr. Pepper as both of us are ex-Baptists. Well, ex-Southern Baptist. He's still a Baptist of a different term. We could sit down and discuss that. The way I see it, yes, of course, there are white evangelicals who are pushing those issues for fundraising purposes and organizational purposes. But look at it this way. Where are those issues coming from? Is, are, is the fight over First Amendment free speech for cake bakers and flower shop owners and pizza parlor owners— is that something these people are choosing to have fights about? Or are the fights coming from somewhere else? And then the religious right and re traditional religious conservatives are responding to trends within the culture. Those trends are real, but I don't think the religious right is picking a lot of these fights. I think they are getting punched, and then they're choosing to swing back. But once again, what I'm saying violates the the narrative and violates the templates. It's one of my pet peeves, and I think I'm backed up by the likes of Ryan Anderson, who says, look, if you actually look at the punches being thrown or the advances and the retreats and whatnot, evangelicals are not the aggressors in the culture war. They are in an entirely defensive position <laughs> if you take it subject by subject. Another media yeah. narrative that falls apart when you just examine it a little more closely. And I think that's part of why people have responded so emotionally to the last two books by Rod Dreher and have to make sure that they quote him as saying things that he's not actually saying in the books. And, and Rod's entire point that much of the aggression that we're currently seeing on moral and social issues in America is not coming from churches and religious groups. It's coming from corporations. It's coming from big tech. It's coming from the most elite forms of higher education in America life, and now even accreditation agencies and medical agencies. To some degree, the defenders of traditional approaches to doctrine from a Judeo-Christian perspective are the people who are on the defensive. So Ryan and I would get together and debate about that, but look at the numbers he continues to put out, and look at the importance of the information that he's contributing to debates and coverage that we desperately need to see if people are going to understand how complex the middle of the American political spectrum and religious spectrum, how complex life is these days. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much for your time. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.